Welcome to episode number 13 of Off the Shelf. Today on Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. My co-host Brian Lynch is traveling today, so I will be hosting the interview solo. We have now reached into 81 countries with our podcast, and I want to welcome everyone who's listening, wherever you may be in the world, from Canada to Israel. And yes, we have listeners in both of those countries. Joining us on this edition of Off the Shelf is Pastor Jeff Jenkins. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, greetings, Rod. Glad to be with you. Jeff has been on the podcast before, so I won't do a detailed introduction, but he was the pastor of a message church in Lima, Ohio for almost 35 years. And Jeff's dad, Lonnie, was also a well-known teacher in the message. Jeff, when you were on with us last time, we talked briefly about William Branham and the cloud and wanted to have an in-depth discussion on the subject. And I know this is a huge subject and a real linchpin Yes, as far as William Branham's self-proclaimed vindication is concerned. Mm-hmm. To give some brief background to our listeners, at around sunset on February 28th, 1963, a cloud appeared in the vicinity of Flagstaff, Arizona, and remained sunlit for 28 minutes after sunset. It was highlighted in the May 1963 edition of Life magazine and in various articles written in Science magazine, for example, April 19th, 1963, there was an independent report issued in May, on May 31st, 1963, and another article in Weatherwise magazine in June 1963. Message ministers treat the cloud and its appearance with a reverence that approaches complete idolatry. I actually heard one message minister state in a sermon just prior to us leaving the message that if you don't understand Sunset Mountain, you don't understand Calvary. Mm, mm, mm. Another minister stated that it was necessary to understand what happened at Sunset Mountain in order to go in the rapture. Mm. This is clearly not only non-biblical, yeah. but it's complete heresy. Yes, Jeff, where, where do we start with a subject like this? Well, I think what you just said a moment ago, I think is key, and that is that for people... Um, to equate uh, the rapture, um, salvation, basic salvation, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a cloud. Um, If they could just stop and hear themselves. Um, Furthermore, I guess I would have been one of those faithful uh, worshipers of of, uh, William Branham following his ministry, his gift, um, had it it not been that the cloud is, is... all, every aspect of the cloud uh, that Brother Branham made reference to is false. 
Um, it's that's a categorical statement to say that all that Brother Bram said about the cloud con- and concerning himself, A L L, is false, and and that is that is backed up by uh, by both uh, documentation in history, in magazines, and, and mostly by Brother Branham himself contradicting himself. So I think the best way to go through the issue uh, regarding the cloud is simply to go through each one of the issues one at a time, and then we can both comment on it yeah. as well. We have a ton of uh, documentation, which is on our website, I believe the sign.com. I will put on our website page for this mm-hmm. podcast uh, links to those articles. And we've also done some videos as well. They'll be linked on the mm-hmm article on the off the shelf dot life website um specifically this podcast to let people take a deeper dive into it if they want to so let's start with the vision yeah did william branham prophesy the cloud ahead of time as many message followers believe no no and i've had ministers tell me that well it was a vision some even say that it wasn't even an actual event that the whole thing was a vision but furthermore if anybody, even Brother Bram, never, 62, ever brings up a cloud, ever. Yeah, that's right. And, and actually, it's really quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And we've gone into this in detail on our website. But on December 23rd, so Christmas Eve 1962, in a sermon called Reproach for the Cause of the Word, mm-hmm. uh, which was spoken in Jeffersonville, William Branham states that he went into a trance. He saw little small birds in the shape of a pyramid. Mm-hmm. He was around Tucson, Arizona. Then he saw larger uh, birds more like doves. They flew eastward. Then he heard an explosion, a blast. Then five mighty angels came in the form of the pyramid. And Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. checked that uh, sermon. There was never any mention of a cloud. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really interesting. He says five mighty angels. I know. And then a week later, he speaks, Sirs, is this the time on December 30th, 1962? also in Jeffersonville. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in it, he states that the angels were no less than five and not more than seven. Right. And then he changes his mind again, said it's definitely seven. Right. And here comes seven angels from eternity, he said. Mm -hmm. And he said, when I meet you at the day of the resurrection, you'll see that I lie not God, my judge. Yeah. But he just lied. Yeah, he did. Because he said a week earlier it was five. I know. And now he changed it to seven. Yeah. Well, why did he change his mind? Yeah, people will say that it's an occupational hazard with a prophet not to be able to see things clearly entirely and uh but yet brother branham goes from saying you know i even found a quote where he says three maybe five never said seven until i believe really honestly he had some hindsight with regard to the seven angels of the seven seals well you know what it was and actually i found in the book 20th century prophet this Mm -hmm. is my view okay in chapter three of that book lee vale states he met with william branham on december 26 Mm -hmm. 1962 Mm -hmm. so in between the 23rd and the 30th Lee, Lee Vale meet, meets with him and discusses the vision. Mm. And in the book, he says that they speculated whether the vision could be related to the unveiling of the seven thunders of Revelation 10. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, they talked about this thing. And I think between the two of them, they thought they ended up deciding that seven would be better than five. Yep. And that's when William Branham changed his mind. Whether whether uh, people want to say whether it, there was some sort of motive or not, the one thing that's important is that he changed his mind. You you can't get away from that. And so then how much, um, how much am I supposed to put on a vision when there was initially five and then there's seven? 
and we know he changed his mind. And so therefore, I, I can't, you know, if I did that to the Bible, for instance, um, and if Isaiah said to me, well, I'm not sure if there was two or five or three, you know, I would, I would already begin to discount the validity of what Isaiah is trying to tell me. And not only that, when he says, when I meet you at the day of the resurrection, you'll see that I lie not. Mm-hmm. God is my judge. Mm-hmm. He really is treating that very lightly. It's scary. And so other places where he said things and changed his mind and is clearly lying, it's not that big a deal to him. I know. I know. It's quite surprising. Yeah. So we've dealt with the with the issue of the prophecy. There was no prophecy. No. Uh, related to the clouds. There's no mention None. of the cloud. None. What about the timing of the cloud? When did the cloud appear? And how does that relate to the statements of William Branham on the subject? Well, that's a, that's a very good one because we had a, a guy debate a minister here in Lima, and the minister that was debating the pastor, message pastor, was able to prove that William Branham couldn't have been on those specific dates that he said because he would have been hunting javelina out of season. And then later on, we found out that William Branham was in Texas during the time when the cloud appeared. So uh, there's no—this is this is so easy to prove, and I've had some pretty important figures within the message circles call me and say, what do we do with this? And I said, well, tell the truth. Always tell the truth. And so, you know, he ended up, this individual ended up putting it in a magazine, the truth. Of course, he had his own spin on as to why William Branham could be in Texas while the cloud appeared 200 miles towards Flagstaff. And the bottom line is, is that none of the quotes that Brother Branham said concerning the cloud and himself were true. Absolutely false. They were all false. They were not true. He specifically says a quote from Shalom. Uh, he, he spoke in January uh, 64. Yeah. Said that the picture of the large mysterious cloud in the May 1963 issue of Life magazine was actually, what it did was it, it caught the angel's flight, or it was evidence of the angel's flight, uh, and it caught it on camera right. after he met them. Right. But we know that he said the angels appeared to him in the morning. Yeah. But the cloud appeared over Flagstaff. In the evening. Exactly. The the Life magazine reported that it appeared north of Flagstaff yeah. on the evening of February 28, 1963. But William Branham was on the hunt somewhere after March 4th. 1963. Right. So you're right. Nothing works. Nothing. And if in what what uh, is amazing to me is is that how many ministers um, after I had uh, I told my father I said Dad you know the clouds wrong. Every aspect of what Brother Bram said about the mist forming on the ground, the voice that he said he heard that said, look up, and he saw the cloud. None of that is true. Now, I've had ministers tell me, well, it was a vision. Well, then that means Gene Norman and Fred Sothman saw the same vision, which isn't true. And so none of that was true. Zero of that was true. Uh, the cloud had already come. The cloud had already gone. William Branham knew nothing about the cloud when he preached services at the time. Uh, Brother Branham came up with the cloud concept when he was at Gene Norman's house and he saw the Life magazine on his coffee table. And he looked at it and then he began to say, you know, wait a minute, two plus two equals. And uh, and so he put he injected himself into this cloud phenomenon uh, and uh, said, that's when the angels met me. And they formed that cloud. And then he talked about it in retrospect as if it was a part of the visions and a part of he knew it all along. It was all a part of um, him, him foretelling about this cloud. And, and 
that's another lie. He never foretold about a cloud. So uh, it just goes on and on and on. When you tell one lie, you have to tell another lie to cover up for another lie. And yeah, that's exactly correct. And so and and for our listeners, just so they know that, that some of the details. Um, as you mentioned, on March the 4th, 1963, we know he actually preached a message called uh, Absolute mm-hmm. in Houston, te- Texas, during mm-hmm. which he talks about having to drive back to Arizona that night right. after interceding for a boy on death row. Right. And then um, in trying to do God a service in in November 65, he says he went hunting with Fred Sothman and Gene Norman after he returned right. from pleading for the life of this boy in Texas. Right. And then um, in the sermon, The Seventh Seal, on March 24th, 1963, he says he was hunting with Fred Sothman and Gene Norman when the angels appeared. Right. And to cap it all off, Rebecca Smith, William Bradham's daughter, wrote an article called The Road to Sunset mm-hmm. in the final issue of the Only Believe magazine, where she confirms that William Branham's hunting trip occurred from March the 6th to the 8th, 1963. And she got a lot of flack for publishing that article. Yes, she did. She did. And God bless her for, for printing it. Yeah, exactly right. It's nice to see that some people yeah. held the truth in high regard. Exactly. So the other thing, too, which is mentioned in the Life magazine, is that there were not one cloud, but two clouds. Mm-hmm. People like to skip over that one entirely. Yeah, they do. They do. But they were actually two clouds. Yeah. They talk about it in the Life magazine. Yeah. So so now we've got, we've got two issues dealt with. Mm-hmm. The third issue is the location of the cloud. Yeah, that's huge. So when you listen, when when you listen to William Branham, mm-hmm. it's clear that he gives the impression that the cloud appeared right above him when he was hunting, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. didn't. No. Why did the cloud show up 200 miles away from where he was hunting? And not only that, as we said, a full eight days uh, before he went hunting. Yeah, because he wasn't even there hunting when the cloud appeared. So all of that's total fabrication. And then even if it were true and he were there the day the cloud was sighted in the sky, it was 200 miles north of his location. I went with my boys a number of years ago to visit Sunset Mountain. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we went on this long hike. It's a long story. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it, it always is when you get together with, with, um, with your you kids. Know, you go on a hike with your kids, right? <laughs> and we had, we had a few other people with us. But what's really interesting is that based on Gene Norman's testimony and Perry Green's testimony, William Branham wasn't hunting at Sunset Peak. He says Sunset Mountain. There right. is no Sunset Mountain. No. It's Sunset Peak. But where he was hunting was about 10 miles uh, northeast of Sunset Peak mm-hmm. at a place called Rattlesnake Mesa. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Mm-hmm. To, to, we went, we're in the area. I mean, he, didn't, he wasn't on Sunset Mountain or Sunset Peak. He was 10 miles away, which mm-hmm. is a, a long ways out in the desert. You, you get, I mean, that's a, that's a really good, healthy walk yeah. through the cactus, yeah. right? So yeah. he was nowhere close to Sunset Mountain. No. Even, but obviously, it's more spiritual to say Sunset Mountain than Rattlesnake Mesa. Right, exactly. My, my, my sunset message in the evening time. Yeah, yeah, it all sort yeah. of—he was, uh, you know, he loved uh, the, the poetry uh, of things that paralleled, and he did that all the time. And I'm going to get into this in some detail later, but Chad Lamb, I had people say, you know, constantly saying, if you want to understand the cloud— 
you need to go and listen to Chad Lamb's sermon on the cloud. It's it's almost two hours long. We've done that. And in fact, mm. Chad Lamb compares the Arizona cloud with the cloud that appeared on Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. Mm. But the big question I had when I think about the location is, yeah. how did the God of Moses develop such a terrible sense of direction? Mm, yeah. So when, <laughs> when, yeah. when the children of Israel were there, Moses went up the mountain and the cloud came down on that mountain. It did. Not, not 200 miles away. I mean, they wouldn't have been able to see it. Well, maybe they would have, but but still, that's a long ways away. And not eight di- not eight days before. <laughs> and not eight days before. The, you know, the cloud shows up, then the people show up, and they say, well, there was a cloud here eight days ago, but... Yeah, eight days ago. So this whole comparison that people do, uh, and in fact, the Chad Lamb does to Exodus 19.16, is completely invalid. Yeah, it is. It, it's uh, it's invalid because, first of all, there's, it, 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 there's no uh, scriptural uh, context for it. Second of all, it never happened at the time Brother Brown said it happened. So if if there's no Bible narrative for this because it didn't happen when it happened, then the entire sermon is moot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So question number four. So William Branham also said there was a big blast. So mm-hmm. what was the cause of the blast that William Branham heard? Because Gene Norman was hunting with William Branham mm-hmm. and we've got a testimony where he said, and this is a, this is a direct quote from Gene Norman. Mm-hmm. I hunted, oh, probably about a half an hour and that blast went off. It sounded like it was just right above my head and I looked up and I didn't see nothing. And yeah, I did. I seen something, but I didn't see the cloud in the form that it shows in the picture. When I looked up, I see two long streaks like... Uh, like a plane leaving a trail. Exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that's this that's an honest witness's account of Masonic boom. And we've done some research. We've actually on our website got a copy of an article from the March 1st, 1963 edition of the Arizona Republic newspaper, an article called Shaken Up by Sonic Booms, and the article tells of multiple sonic booms over the town of Springerville, Arizona mm-hmm. that were being caused by aircraft from Williams Air Force Base. And some of these booms were so loud they cracked windows in the town. Mm. Now you have to understand that this was in at probably the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. Armed Forces were in readiness. Mm-hmm. Williams Air Force Base was operating F-5 Freedom Fighters and T-38 Talons, both supersonic jets. Mm-hmm. Springerville's around 120 miles east of Phoenix, mm-hmm. where the Williams Air Force Base is located, and Rattlesnake Mesa is around. 80 miles southeast of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Speed of sound, 768 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt that it's possible that the flight paths of these jets could have gone past this. In fact, they probably veered away for Springerville because people were complaining. And when they went over more uninhabited areas like uh, Rattlesnake Mesa. Mm -hmm. We had the Blue Angels uh, come to the David Montes Air Force Base or the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. And when they would... uh, uh, when these jets would reach supersonic speed, they were, uh, as if crow flies, they were around 60, 70 miles away from where the um, where the uh, uh, the flight, the uh, the air show was going on. So they would circle back around and be back at the air show in a matter of seconds because that's how fast they were going. Yeah, it's amazing. So if Gene Norman's right, 
what looked like a plane leaving a trail was actually a plane leaving a trail. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. And they didn't see a cloud. Couldn't have because the whole event happened eight days before and it was 200 miles north. And so, you know, like I said, it's um, I remember when I finally did preach on it and uh, the, the ministry in mostly in some ministries uh, in Europe got together and uh, they wrote a letter to me saying that they could no longer have any fellowship with me because that I debunked the cloud or, or pl- placed a question mark on the cloud. And that was the first time I used the term golden calf because I realized this was idolatry because they weren't – the reason it's idolatry is because it wasn't true. If what took place was true and Brother Branham was there and the dates all matched, et cetera, and he wasn't in Texas, then I'd say, well, that's wonderful. But none of the above is true, but they are still willing to believe an untruth that is idolatry. So when when did you preach that, Jeff? Well, let me see. Um, I'm terrible for dates. Yeah, but, but just ballpark. How long before you okay. left the message? That would have been – okay, that would have been about four Four and a half years ago. Okay, so it's about about you left the you left the message about four about years three ago. Years, so. Yeah, about three and a half years ago. So three and a half years ago. So yeah. it's about a year before you left. Exactly. And I remember my dad telling me, if you preach on it, you'll open up a can of worms. But it grieved me inside. And you know, I've never been good at um, holding something inside that continues to bother me. I eventually have to study it and study it and study it and study it. And then once I've thoroughly studied it, I want to. I want to preach on it because I feel like the truth will always bear out, bear forth. It'll always, it'll always prevail. And in this case, you know, it still hasn't fully prevailed in the minds of the, uh, of the message believer, but eventually it will. And then that's going to have a domino effect because it did for me. I said, you know, if he completely fabricated everything about the cloud, then what else did he completely fabricate? That's a very good question. So the next question, what was the cause of the cloud. Was it the aftermath of a constellation of angels visiting William Branham? Or was there a more natural explanation for the cause of the cloud? Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I know that you guys did a marvelous uh, job of a tremendous task in searching these out, uh, finding out. And I did the same thing after I'd left the message. And I just got on and I started to uh, look at the um, how many um, rockets that lose their trajectory, get off path and they have to blow up in, in, into the atmosphere. And uh, all of them form a similar cloud. So it wasn't it wasn't like this is the only cloud that looked the way this cloud looked, even though it had no bearing on the situation because it happened eight days before William Branham was even there. But the point is, is that many clouds that um, are blown up in the atmosphere create the same ring. And uh, just so our listeners know, on February 28th, 1963, which is the day that the cloud appeared, Mm -hmm. a thrust-assisted Thor rocket was launched Mm -hmm. from pad number 75-3-5 at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. It was carrying a Keyhole 4 military surveillance satellite. The rocket started to veer off course and was intentionally destroyed at an altitude of 44 kilometers. Mm -hmm. It's about 144,000 feet at uh, just prior to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the same height that the cloud over Arizona yeah. was estimated to be at. Exactly. 
of which this this cloud appeared. I always like to remind people this. They say, well, we don't believe it's a full rocket. Well, that's fine. It still appeared eight days before Brother Brown was even at... at There's all these facts which yeah, augur yeah. against. There's yeah. something called Occam's razor. Mm-hmm, and it's just mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. What, what, what usually is when science looks at something is the most, the, the simplest explanation mm-hmm. is usually the right explanation. Yeah. Oh, boy. Right? When people truth. get really, really, really mm-hmm. complicated about mm-hmm. stuff... Mm-hmm then it's usually not the right explanation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a mouthful because um, when I left the message, my heart, my heart ached for simplicity because I was, I was just tired of all the information in the message, the lap over period, this, the third pool, the token life, which is something a little different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the seven seals and all the implications and the seven thunders and the, and the mysteries on the backside of this book. And, and I thought, information, information, information. And all it did was split churches here and yawned. Yeah. And then my, I just realized God is bringing a message through the cross of Christ that is simple. The gospel has to be to the uneducated, to the bushman in uh, Africa and in the jungles in Central America. It can not, you know, here a person meets Jesus and then they say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's much more to this. You've got to believe that God sent a prophet and you got to understand everything he ever wrote. And here, we'll, we'll try to get you as many translations as we possibly can of his tapes. I mean, that's that's beyond the pale. For the listeners, just so they people probably don't understand, uh, aren't aware of my involvement on this. Mm-hmm, and Jeff, mm-hmm. you probably are. But mm-hmm. the first MB3 files that appeared on the internet—that that was my idea. Oh my goodness! I I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> no, but, I, I mean, mean it came out of Cloverdale, right? Oh, I remember that. Right, it came mm-hmm. out of Cloverdale. Well, I just. I mean, I, I never looked to take credit for any of this stuff. Right. But uh, there was a guy, Bob Petrucci. Mm-hmm. I had him over to my house. I bought a whole bunch of equipment. I showed him how to run it. And then he took it and ran with it. And amazing. We had all these uh, William Branham's tapes that were in reel to reel. We had a bunch of them, yeah. like about 800, 900. And he actually took those original reel to reel tapes and converted them. I mean, originally we actually used reel audio because MP3 wasn't the standard it was then and mm-hmm. then we, we 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 did it to wave files converted those to real audio posted them on the internet and then later on they were uh, converted into mp3 and the same thing with the idea to to put all the sermons in in uh, book format right. in pdf right. files and put them on the internet that was right. my idea Amazing. i know there was a minister uh, in cloverdale who likes to take credit for that but it was my idea i'm i'm a i'm a technology freak i love technology yeah, exactly exactly and we also were involved right at the get-go with the with getting the message on the computer which in the end is one of the biggest tools we've had yeah uh, for proving that William Branham's stories about all these things were, in fact, not true. Yep. But I was involved. This is back before we actually had MS-DOS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that. We were using a operating system called CPM, mm-hmm. and we had a hard drive with all of William Branham's messages in text. And if somebody could go through in search of it, they went through... It went through on, on a serial basis from start to finish because things weren't indexed as they are now right. in, in folio views. And we eventually moved to folio views. And I worked with, uh, with the guys that, that developed yep. it. Yep. it it's, it's kind of funny. One of the things that 
in fact, allowed us to really find out the flaws in the message is something that I worked on right from the get-go. We worked with you, with Cloverdale, to do the optical character reading, too. Took, yep. We took all the books so that we could digitize them, so yep. that we could get them onto computers, so that we could do word searches. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, exactly and, right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, we, wow. we had a crew of people just doing all that they could to get everything in a digital format. And uh, and now today, you know, it was a great benefit for us when we were in the message, but it's even a greater benefit now to uh, be able to dis, uh, dis to untangle the web that William Branham created in order to vindicate himself. Okay, well, I'm going to bring this to a close, Jeff, and then mm-hmm. we'll uh, continue the conversation next week. Okay. Uh, thanks very much. This has been very enlightening, and I hope it's been of some use to our listeners. And yes. we will talk again, and uh, people can tune in again in a week's time. Thanks very much, Jeff. Thank you. Looking forward to it, Ron. If you would like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website, or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life. Or you can reach Brian at Brian, with a Y, at offtheshelf.life. The Off The Shelf website also contains a comment section after each podcast. Just click on the title of the podcast and it will take you to the page for that specific podcast. The comment section is at the bottom of the page. Have a great week, everyone.